Hello, and welcome back to a new episode of Mutualisms, the podcast, the podcast where we talk to scientists who are also artists and explore the way art and science really complement each other. This week, we are talking to Allison Achia. Allison is a Mauritian American who is both an aquatic ecologist and embroidery artist. She recently graduated with her Master's of Fisheries and Aquatic Sciences at the University of Florida and now works as a field and lab technician in the Freshwater Ecology Lab at UF. For her master's degree, she studied changes in the coastal environment of Mauritius using satellite imagery following an oil spill. She draws inspiration from the natural world for her embroidery, which consists of both hoop embroidery and thrifted clothing. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So how are you doing? How was your week? Did anything exciting happen? I'm good. Um, I went to the Springs with my mom and my sisters this weekend, and so I got to see an eel, a freshwater eel, which is so exciting because I've only seen it like once before at that same exact spring. So I was like hopping in the water hoping to see another one, and he was right there. So I'm like, yes. That was awesome. I saw your Instagram video of that eel. Oh, right. I love is that, that guy. the one that you just yeah, posted? Yeah, it's the same one. Yeah. And you said it's an American eel, right? The yeah, I think so. It's like a freshwater eel. Yeah, I think that's I think, what would be in there. <laughs> I think those are the ones that like spawn in the Sargasso Sea and then come all the way over here. And yeah, then I think become so. freshwater, right? Yeah, it's so weird how that happens. Because I've also in a spring nearby seen like juvenile. I think they're Atlantic swordfish, or no, sorry, Atlantic needlefish. And so I kept seeing them swimming around and I was like, those can't be needlefish. It's up and apparently juvenile needlefish will come into the spring. So I was pretty excited about that too. That is so cool. That's neat. I'm really jealous of all your awesome like spring adventures. It oh, I love so, the springs. <laughs> so just like soothing and inspiring like it's, it's so nice so yeah gorgeous I definitely get a lot of inspiration from the springs it's that's like one of the reasons why it's hard for me to like move out of central Florida like to want to because the springs are the same temperature all year round too so I can like swim whenever I want yeah that's really important I uh I I struggle living far away from a well far away. I'm an hour and twenty minutes away from the beach, which is still yeah. a lot closer than a lot of people. But I grew up along the coast, right? And I yeah. Um, every time like I feel shitty, I really just want to go for a swim in the ocean. My my fiance calls it. He's like, I have to walk you. Like I have to bring you to the beach and send you in the ocean, and then you'll be fine again. That's so fine. That's what my boyfriend says too. He's like, I gotta just throw you in some body of water somewhere, and then you'll probably be really happy. And, and I'm like, come yes, out please. better. <laughs> yeah, I definitely yeah. feel that. But it is hard. Like I'm also far from the ocean in a similar way. Like about an hour and twenty minutes either either um, ocean. So I struggle with that as well, where I haven't really been to the ocean in a hot minute and it feels weird. Yeah, It's weird, but it feels like such a big part of your personality and you don't mm-hmm. really get to see those same organisms. Mm-hmm. I do like the springs a lot, but it is just like different, you know, yes, yeah. different yeah. things that you're used to seeing in the ocean versus in like a freshwater ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So getting into it. If you had a Venn diagram and marine ecology, marine biology was on one half and uh, embroidery was on the other side, what's going in the middle? So I feel like in terms of like a Venn diagram like that, like if you're just talking about like marine ecology and like art in general, like there's a lot going on in between, which I'm sure is like what you're talking about in all these episodes. (laughs) But like for embroidery specifically, I think that... um, there's a lot of attention to detail needed and you're essentially like making painting a picture with thread so you have to think a lot about like color and shape and direction and stuff and I think that attention to detail is something that you need a lot in science as well there's also like a fair bit of preparation for each piece that you make in embroidery like you need to design a template or a pattern and then you got to like cut your cloth perfectly and have the perfect size hoop or and I like to paint my cloth too and then you have to identify like which threads you need to like 
make the paint like the painting you know basically so it just kind of also reminds me of like setting up an experiment almost like you need all the different aspects to be set up and ready to go and then you really need to like focus in on it and try to like not make mistakes which I feel like feels a lot like when you're doing research (laughs) yeah I really like that like um how you said you have to focus on like the colors and the shapes and those all feel like different variables, right? And then when you're yeah. doing an experiment, you have to think about all those different variables, like temperature, salinity. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there you have to control those a lot more, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, you're kind of working with a bunch of variables. And depending on how the variables go, what you're manipulating, what you're changing, you're going to get something different every time yeah exactly or and maybe I feel not, like but... <laughs> it kind of comes out different every yes. time too which oh is kind gosh, of similar always. to experiments <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a really good point yeah like it never matches the it never matches perfectly the vision in my head no no me either, yeah. make something and sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse but yeah, yeah. like experiments when you do your stats and you're getting something completely different than what yeah. you would assume you would get. Yeah. What you pictured here with your hypothesis. That's like, it's so weird too, like with mapping, which is kind of like what I focus my master's on. Like it there's it's there's a weird amount of subjectivity in mapping, which I like never anticipated. But it's like, you know, you have to decide how you're gonna show something and like how you're gonna show it in relation to other things. So there's a lot of ways that you can change that and it looks completely different. And I feel like you can get a completely different message from it no matter how you, like depending on how you set it up. So I find that's kind of like more related to art than I had anticipated. And I really like that. I wanna do the best job possible, but the best is like very subjective. So yeah, yeah, it's difficult because you have to like decide on all the different settings you're gonna choose and like how you're gonna display it. different methodology you're going to use to do the analysis and stuff and it's like pretty subjective but you know I guess all sciences has an element of subjectivity yeah mapping specifically feels hard in that way I mean I I would love to know how to use GIS but I at this point in my life have no idea but yeah I feel like we we as humans often look at maps and take them as like complete and perfect fact it's like drawn exactly to scale um but that has like never been the case like in your like elementary school textbooks like different countries are not like correctly proportional to each other um and yeah i mean like that's a choice yeah they made to like we had to do it this way so it looks the Uh best this way but Uh then you're like but why is Africa so small when yeah. Africa is so large? And then that yeah. has like an effect on our like feelings and opinions about different countries as well, which mm-hmm. is weird. <laughs> yeah, it really influences your like factual and emotional perception of things. And that's just such a, that's just such an interesting thing to like have control over and yeah. to do. And I thought- And I feel like that's like one of the things that like when you go into doing research, you're like, oh, I'll definitely just do a lot of reading and then the right answer will come up. It's like that never, ever happens. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's so many like conflicting opinions about the best way to do something. And like there's many different methodologies and like maybe this is the best way, but you can only use this kind of imagery because you only have this much money or something. And like. So it never goes at all how you think it's going to go. <laughs> you yeah. have to do a lot of changing. And then you just kind of eventually, I, like a lot of the uh, advice I got from my um, advisor and like one of my mentors was like, you have to decide that it's done and that you have to decide that like this is what it's going to be and then move on. Mm-hmm. And I really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I always want to be like, improving it or like changing this fixing this but there's like only so much time you have to move on from a project so yeah that's a really good like you have to decide when it's you have to decide when it's done and I feel like you have to do that with art sometimes too yeah Um, for sure (laughs) and and with science I mean like you could get into a project and genuinely go on forever because every like answer that you find really brings up like three more questions you yeah know, right exactly. so 
just like you could work forever on an art piece and potentially not be satisfied, you could work forever on a project and never like get all of the potential knowledge because there just is so much to do. I feel like embroidery does enable me to like improving things or keep working on things maybe more than I should because I can cover something with a different color thread, Mm -hmm. which I was working on yesterday when I was working on like an orca sweatshirt. There was like one little like line that was kind of off and I just like ended up covering it up with something else and like editing the border a bit. But you can also like take out stitches pretty easily. Unlike when you're drawing on blank paper, you can there's always a leftover like area that is like shaded that you can never really get rid of. Like mm-hmm. with embroidery, you can take stitches out pretty easily and it's like it never happened. You can like do a whole embroidery on something and then decide you hate it and just take it all off and restart, which I've done a couple times. Yeah. But you can't really do that, I guess, with science because you have a set amount of funds and time. So you kind of have to take what you have and keep going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just like hope for the best <laughs> that it's going to work out. Yeah, I find that, um, you know, being able to backtrack on a project, like allowing myself to do that, too, because I hate I hate having to take like things apart and pull like yeah. the, the knits apart. Um, but it's like it's a good thing practice right to like let go um because I feel like a lot of scientists are very meticulous perfectionists and hard on themselves and like have a hard time letting go of mistakes (laughs) I know I do for sure yeah me too yeah yeah but I mean your embroidery is so gorgeous and it's really hardy like it holds it holds up. You have I'm really, glad. really awesome skill. Yeah. Oh, thank I mean, you. <laughs> I wore that kelp dress um, out to a bar the other night. And oh, And I was awesome. like, if, if anyone spills on me, I am fighting because I love this dress, but I need to, like, wear it out in public. No. Yeah, that's one thing about clothes. It's, it's kind of – I also feel that, too, when I'm about to, like, embroider on something. I'm like, it. I want to choose something that has a certain amount of hardiness to it or else, like, I'm worried. If I'm putting it on something that could easily come apart, then, like, I'm basically wasting my time <laughs> to just, like, unless somebody's really good at repairing stuff, which I think is a good skill. But yeah, it's nice to trust a garment enough to put all my time and effort and ideas onto it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's always difficult. Yeah. Speaking of skill, do you feel like the skills that you have um, in embroidery, do you feel like they've served you in science and vice versa? Do skills sort of translate between for you? I think for sure. I feel like weirdly enough, tying knots has come up a surprising amount in science. And uh, I mean, like, you know, not just even like boat tying, but like tying like fishing line to like, you know, I had to tie crayfish up at my last job. They had like little tiny eyelets glued on them and I had to like thread through and tie it. And that's like pretty hard to do if you haven't done anything like that before but like it's so normal and so related to embroidery for me that it was like no problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) also Mm -hmm. like uh moving I did a lot of like invert work small inverts and like moving them around with like an insect forcep is actually kind of tricky and it like takes a lot of like attention to the small little details and you want to like you can't squish them but you have to grab them and it's like you really have to be like pointing at the specific spot and that's like similar to like when you're embroidering too like you have to make sure you're going in the exact spot you want to make the line look how you want it to look so you really have to focus in. I feel Mm -hmm. like it's similar to like using forceps, weirdly Mm -hmm. enough. Yeah. And like threading the needle, like getting so close, like you do have to get it in this like perfect place so that it will go all the way through. Like threading threading needles, like, it's not, not, it's not fun. It's, it's I've gotten used to it now, but it's like, was definitely like, I feel like that's a barrier to entry for embroidery for some people, but it's like, it'll get better. You know, I actually have like quite shaky hands, which is kind of weird that I like embroidery, but it almost feels like it steadies my hands. And so I feel like maybe that has helped in my science in ways I haven't really thought about too. 
Yeah, me too. I also have very shaky hands. I don't know if it's because I drink too much coffee or like I'm just like nervous all the time. But yeah, it's I could like never. Combo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could never be a surgeon. Um, no, and I don't want to be, which is no. fine. But the fact that I'm able to like draw blood from sharks is amazing to me. Yeah. Like, oh my god, with this like hypodermic needle, but somehow you know you like. You focus in, yeah. you know the spot, the exact spot you have to go in and you just, you, you go for it and you hope for the best and it works out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is a weird, like the amount of precision you need in science, I feel like is underestimated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you feel like there are skills that don't translate between the two disciplines? So I was thinking about that and I find it difficult to identify skills that don't. Mm-hmm. translate between mm-hmm. the two which I think is so weird because they're really taught that they're like completely different parts of your brain and like mm-hmm. they have nothing in common mm-hmm. but like I don't know I feel like they really do translate and I guess it probably would maybe depend on if you're doing on a specific kind of science that maybe it doesn't apply as much but I think it also depends on what kind of art you're doing like yeah i i do very nature-based art so pretty much everything applies between science since i study natural sciences but maybe if you're doing something like more experimental and your art is also experimental in a sense where it's not very like literal then maybe there's not that much that translate but i feel like even like the skills of like putting together like an art exhibit and like hanging it on a wall and stuff like that is kind of engineering like Mm -hmm. and there's lots of aspects to that in experimental design and like getting your materials ready yeah I was just gonna say that like the artistic process and the experimental design process feel very similar to me like one one of my favorite things honestly of um projects is the planning stage the sitting down figuring out the methods, like writing it out, ask like figuring out how you are going to answer this question with the mm-hmm. materials you have in front of you um, is so very similar to sitting down and thinking of a project and yeah, planning exactly. it out. Like, how am I going to do this? Um, and like, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're both like creative processes. Yeah. I, I, I really do feel like experimental design is a creative process. For sure. And I remember like I was taking this class. It was called Scientific Thinking and Ecology. And it talked a lot about like ecology and like different thoughts on like scientific movements and stuff. But it was talking about how science or like there was one of the philosophers in that book that was so talking about <laughs> how like scientists think that they are so like non-judgmental or they're very straightforward when really like deciding what project you even want to work on or how you would even approach it is so biased and like based on your own experiences and what you've seen before so it's just like it's way more subjective than people really think Mm -hmm. and And especially like the experimental design because it's like you're choosing to show it in this way and it's like there's always going to be biases in experimental design or like the methods you chose so it's always very subjective yeah exactly like it depends who you were trained by um like what methods you learn to do this and that because there are like a lot of different ways to do different things yeah you know um so you you embroider on a lot of upcycled like pieces of clothing Mm-hmm. Um, when you go, do you thrift these, these pieces of clothing? Yes. That that's is. probably my favorite part. I love thrifting, so it kind of enables my thrifting, unfortunately. <laughs> but no, it's nice, like, I think it's harder when I'm trying to do, like, a larger collection. Like, I'm trying to do right now, like, a spring collection, like, inspired by the springs, too. And I, like, it's harder in that way to like get a bunch of pieces that fit within one kind of like like a cohesive design basically it's a lot easier to go and find like something really interesting like I have this really like iridescent red pink shirt that I saw it and I was like this looks like a squirrel fish like (laughs) a squirrel fish is going on this shirt that's like really fun and that I feel like 
really makes me feel like I'm using my creativity a lot more because I see something and it reminds me of something else and then I'm able to kind of like go on that for my design. It's harder to do like larger collections basically, but that's what I'm trying to do now because I think it would be fun and it's harder. Yeah. I think sometimes it's kind of fun to step out of your comfort zone and try to do something a little bit more ambitious. I think I have like I have 10 or so pieces like in this little collection which is more than I've done ever I think like as one so that's definitely more difficult but I think it'll be worth it that's that's really awesome um so when you are thrifting it sounds like you kind of go in with an open mind and you see a piece and it inspires the project by sort of reminding you of something else versus do you ever go in with like a project in mind and you are trying to thrift something that will fit that project exactly? Yeah, like when I'm working on the spring collection, oh, yeah. I had like a few pieces at a time. So I'll go in and I'll be like, well, I have a bit of a gap in like the sizes I'm offering. Like I need like a size, let's say like a size large because I have like a double XL and like a small. Sometimes I'll go in like that where I'm like, I'm looking for something that fits the same feeling but is like in this size that will also take embroidery well, which is always also something that's kind of hard to discern. Mm -hmm. Some things are just too thin or too stretchy where you try to embroider it and it just, it like it'll pull the stitches too close together and it'll kind of like ruche the fabric in a way. So that's a little bit harder, but I also like to, like I have a bunch of thrifted books that have like animal pictures and stuff in there. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll like, just grab something that's a really great, in great shape or like has a really nice color and shape. I'm not sure what I want to put on it yet. So I'll like bring it home and then I'll like flip through my books and see if there's anything that catches my eye or like would look amazing on that shirt. And then I'll kind of go that way too. I love that. That's very similar to when you're, you know, you're doing your scientific process and something like really weird happens and yeah. then you kind of are like well I'm going down this rabbit hole I guess yeah, like what is that's this all about? weird yeah. yeah and you just kind of you you roll into it um I will say I'm so glad that that kelp dress was in my size because I uh, saw you post it and I was like I need this the funny and, thing is I actually uh, like when sometimes I have like a mystery like ideal customer in mind for specific pieces <laughs> and that literally I was thinking of you and I made that I was like well she loved and I thought like the color would look nice on you and stuff and I was like ooh. and then when you bought it, I was like she got it Ugh. that happened too like I think somebody who goes to like Washington State or Oregon State or something just bought like the orca pull-up like a fleece thing that I made and I was like dreaming of somebody on that coast that is going to wear it to go see orca like that. that. So <laughs> like it's always fine if it doesn't work out that way. Like I really don't care who buys myself. I'm so mm -hmm. happy anytime anyone buys anything that I made. Mm -hmm. But like it is kind of cute when you kind of have someone in mind and then they buy it and it's so like fulfilling. I think I I think I watched your your Instagram like a hawk. Like you I think you posted <laughs> like this will go live at this time. I think I literally set an alarm for that. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, ah, and the sequins on it are so cool. I love I it. I love, I actually, that's like, I think you had asked me um, in this doc of questions, like what my favorite piece is that I've made. And that kelp dress is probably one of my favorites just because like, I don't know. I felt like I was going out on a limb a little bit more than I normally do. Cause like I kind of had started by taking like basic crop tops and putting jellyfish on them. Just like, straight up one animal on mm -hmm. a shirt which I feel like is a little bit e like easily marketed but like taking like a slip dress that already some people maybe aren't willing to wear and then putting like kelp all over it with like sequins and beads and stuff I'm like this speaks to me but I don't know how other people are gonna feel about it so it's so nice when other people appreciate it I mean I it's one of my favorite things that I own it oh. it also speaks to me because I, you know, I'm a kelp like obsessed person, even though I mean, I study 
vertebrates, right? Like kelp yeah, is not, but... not in my, my scientific wheelhouse at all, but I feel just like emotionally deeply connected to it. No, um, it's, I've actually never even seen it in person. I like worked on the first scientific paper I ever worked on was like with, it was in a class called spatial ecology or what was it? It's like spatial sciences for marine environmental characterization just like a long Mm -hmm. title for basically habitat mapping but we worked on a class project paper that was mapping giant kelp and invasive sargassum around catalina island and so we worked on that and it got published and that's the first thing i've ever been on that's published kind of what got me into mapping so i really need to go to catalina island sometime and go diving there come hang out and visit i will absolutely (laughs) dive with you who did you work with on that paper who are the other authors it's uh so i think the first author is um michael espriella he's my mentor he like was a phd student when i was a master's student and then um, there was a geography PhD candidate on that one. I think his name was Tyler. Can't remember his last name. <laughs> and then my friend Kate, who was also an undergrad at the time, and she studied stone crabs for her master's. Mm. But we worked on that with my um, professor, Dr. Vincent Lacours, who ended up being my master's advisor I just asked him because I switched to him as my undergrad advisor and I was like hey uh, I really like mapping could I be in your lab as a master's student he's like yes (laughs) and I didn't really know much about masters I had no idea that you could get like paid a stipend and like they pay for your college I didn't even know but he was like here is there's how much you'll be making I'm like I'll be making money (laughs) like what (laughs) I was so I didn't know anything about it and he kind of just like really helped me through that process so yeah yeah I feel like as an undergrad there's not a whole lot of like direct education about what grad school is and how to get in and what to look for like the the person who helped me figure out how to apply to grad schools was a grad student when I was an undergrad Um, and I feel like I, that seems to be like the only way it happens. Mm-hmm. Like you talk, you happen to talk to someone, they're like, they're like, are you thinking about going to grad school? And then they're like, oh, let me tell you how to get in, or else mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't even know. And I wish, I wish they talk about it like the first year, honestly. I mean, because what you do in undergrad will really influence. Um, well, not always. Like you, there's yeah. always like an ability to switch and. Yeah. and like disciplines and switch um, focuses. But I, I I mean, I wish I had known because I feel like I would have done more, <laughs> more things. Yeah, I would have done more like research too because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. don't really tell you that much that if you can get into a lab and do like volunteering, then you get like a huge leg up because yep. you have some research experience. Also, if you're applying for jobs, like they're gonna be like, where's your research experience? You're like, oh, I don't know, I just went to class. Like, <laughs> I feel like they don't explain that very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you talked about the favorite, your favorite art piece that you've created. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your favorite thing that you've done as a scientist? So like last May, I went with Dr. LaCours and Michael, because <laughs> um, Dr. LaCours, he does he brings us to the geohab conference when it's your last year as a grad student so it was my last year of my master's and we went to this conference called geohab and it's a marine mapping conference and it was in venice which i've never been to italy in my life so i was like like just going to that conference was probably like my favorite thing because i don't know if you feel like the same way but when i see like a room full of international scientists who know so much about what they study and they're so willing to share their knowledge and work together on projects it just makes me like feel so hopeful mm-hmm. <laughs> about like the ocean in general especially like when it comes to mapping like you hear so much like we know zero percent of what's going on in the ocean and it's like it's not from a lack of trying i'll tell you that (laughs) these people are trying so hard it's just really hard to map the ocean floor but just being there and like i got to present some of my work on mangroves and i got to like I took so many notes like Mm -hmm. they all know so much and they're all doing such cool work like all over the globe 
it was just like an amazing experience. I learned way more than I ever knew about mapping in general. And it gave me so many ideas and people were like asking me if they could help me in ways and stuff because they all cared about Mauritius. It was just like really sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do love that when when you feel really inspired and like you're a part of something bigger conferences really can do that um and it kind of reminds you why you're doing it because sometimes it's hard to remember because things get real hard yeah for sure can you tell us more about your your master's research yeah so I'm Mauritian American so my father's side of the family is from Mauritius which is an island next to Madagascar it's in the Indian Ocean um and so for my master's work there was two chapters to it. The first chapter, I looked at mapping mangroves in the area. Oh, I guess I should explain the oil spill. <laughs> I remember so, that, but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, so in Mauritius, in the summer of 2020, I believe, there was an oil spill. Um, a large Japanese um, ship crashed into the coral reefs, and there was an oil spill that affected a specific coastline. So for my master's, I mapped mangroves in that area and tried to assess if they had declined in health using satellite imagery analysis. The second chapter of my thesis, I tried to map the benthic communities like the seagrass and the coral, and I tried to see if there was a change in their cover over time from Mm -hmm. both oil pollution and also increased sedimentation so yeah i did like satellite imagery analysis work which i actually really really like what did, what did you find did it affect the the mangroves and the um benthic communities so basically the imagery i have is free imagery so you mm. know it's not as good as like drone imagery but the area that i'm looking at is also directly next to an international airport so you can't actually even fly drones there because uh, okay. it's like a you know restricted airspace yeah. so the best we have is really this imagery and so like when you're mapping you know you're doing a estimation of how many mangroves are mm-hmm. in the area like you're making a classification of mangroves versus non-mangroves agriculture that kind of thing and so I can't remember what pers- like what accuracy I got. It was like 80 something. That's pretty good, honestly. Yes, <laughs> but it's, it's great. But then like you go and you do the analysis looking at if the health is changing and you don't know if that 13% that's not mangroves is really impacting the analysis basically. Mm-hmm. So we saw a lot of overestimations of mangroves in agricultural land, perhaps because they're being propagated with like lots of water. So maybe they have a similar reflectance as a mangrove forest would, which oh. is like, you know, there's water in there. So some of those areas where full um full beautiful maybe sugarcane um little agricultural plots and then the next year maybe they had been cut down already because sugarcane season depends on how it's growing and everything Mm. so those plots would make it seem like the because i used ndvi which is a satellite imagery analysis tool Mm -hmm. where you look at the reflectance values basically so the ndvi in that plot would like plummet and it would look like if they're I would be calling it a mangrove and it would look like it was decimated. Mm. But so what I'm doing right now is I'm going through and manually editing my mangrove objects to make sure that they are just mangroves. So then when I do the analysis, I'm not including other things that could sway it. Because that's the thing. It's like the country I'm from and it's a big event. So I like want to be as accurate as possible. And it's so difficult to be accurate. So Mm -hmm. that's why I'm just like, that's what we were talking about. Like, you constantly have to be like, working on it, improving it. I didn't think that I'd still be working on this. (laughs) I thought it'd be done. But I'm trying to like, improve the mangrove objects. And I'm also instead of just looking at the previous year before the spill to compare the health i'm also gonna take the average of several previous years so i have like a more stable baseline and then i'm gonna look at a few more years in advance to see if it has improved or if it's continued to decline so that's why it's so messy because <laughs> it's like still like my analysis for my masters itself 
kind of showed that there may be some decline, but it's not really statistical, statistically mm. significant. Mm -hmm. So now I'm trying to see if I can get some more info, some yeah. better info, I guess. Yeah. So like a long-term sort of monitoring project yeah. is kind of what you And like, yeah. it's like, because most mapping papers, like you would just map it, you'd say how accurate it is, and you move on. But mm -hmm. since this has kind of a management application, that's why I'm going in and editing it so it's like actually mangroves. Yeah. There also isn't really existing maps of mangroves in Mauritius, so it could be beneficial in general. I, I think it's definitely going to be beneficial. Um, and yeah, I mean, science just is so messy. <laughs> it's so it's, it's like upsetting so because i want it to be so like straightforward and i want mm -hmm. like when someone asks me that question to just be like yes mm -hmm. it did happen and like mm -hmm. it is it did decline this much yeah. and like i had a separate study area that i did the same analysis for that was unaffected by this bill to try to see if like if the num the change in health that I'm seeing is normal for an area that was unaffected by something like an oil spill. Mm -hmm. But that area also showed differences because even mm -hmm. though I was looking at imagery from the same time of year at different years, seasonality is different. You know, the spring might have started slightly earlier. So it's complicated yeah. <laughs> and trying to like smooth those edges so you can get it published is basically what I'm doing right now. So yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, I I feel like coming into grad school, um, especially and doing research, I like everything to be in order. I I want to feel like I have done things perfectly with no you know um, uncontrolled variables affecting yeah. stuff, <laughs> and you know just so meticulous and there it's it's definitely affected by this variable because literally no other variables were changed at all but like yeah. you you simply cannot yeah. do that no. it's very very hard um we have this in my lab we have this lab lore um called the lab goblin um and whenever <laughs> your experiment messes up you blame it on the lab goblin um and also uh she said that her PhD advisor, my my current advisor, whenever they would do molecular work and it worked, like if the the assay or whatever they were doing yeah. worked, he was like, you have to do it at the same time of day. You have to do it when the weather is the same, when the temperature is the same <laughs> out, with the same lunar cycle. Like you yeah. just you have to do that. Um, it's the condition because it's yeah, just it's and I feel like scientists can kind of get superstitious like that sometimes. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Messy, messy science. That's the thing. Like, also, I feel like I didn't know before I went to grad school that it'll take you probably past when you graduate for your master's stuff to be done. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't, I didn't think that. I didn't know anything about that. But they're like, yeah, you'll just work on it after you graduate until it's ready. I'm like, but isn't it just done? <laughs> <laughs> but whenever I talk to, like, PIs and stuff, they're always talking about, like, master's is just so short of a time frame. Yeah. Like, it's really difficult to, like, publish everything you want to publish and do everything you want to do within, like, two years. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it does kind of lag on a bit but yeah <laughs> worth uh, it i guess yeah 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 i feel like um <laughs> yeah i i definitely am gonna have to be writing um yeah after i graduate because what you what you put in a thesis it seems to be now so very different than what you can publish um, yeah and i wasn't super cognizant of that before entering um, so my advisor's like, yeah, you can, we can do this for your defense. We can put this in your thesis. Yeah, exactly. And then, exactly. you know, like you will get more data later afterwards for yeah. publication. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm never free. Yeah, exactly. Cause never, you're like, I just got to get to graduation. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. not over. Like yeah. it's gonna, I mean, I guess some people do publish yeah. before they're done, but I don't, I don't know how you would even do that to be honest. I guess you'd have to be done with your like master's thesis, like months and months and months before mm -hmm. the deadline, which mm -hmm. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> Maybe some people are really good at planning, but that or like people, sometimes I guess people can get lucky if you're working with a model organism mm, where yeah. like 
methodology has been perfected and you can keep it in the lab and you can have like a constant supply but I feel like whenever you're doing um anything remotely novel at all it it just yeah it is gonna take a long time or some people just you know are are more okay with like working long long hours and not doing much else but I I'm not (laughs) I can't do that yeah I need to go outside and I need Mm -hmm. to not think about it for a second or Mm -hmm. else I just get too stressed out yeah yeah I I think too like when it since my master's was related to like kind of a catastrophic event in like my home (laughs) country it just is like upsetting to spend all my time on it and if things aren't going well it's like even more difficult because i'm like oh i just want to try to like put a map out there that's maybe helpful to for something and it's like why is it so difficult (laughs) (laughs) and that oil spill was so devastating i remember seeing photos of it and that it just was it was so so awful yeah it was really sad when i went to Mauritius too we could see like some oil on the mangrove still and i was like oh please no (laughs) it's just sad because like the mangrove roots are so helpful for stabilizing sediment and stuff that the the oil gets in the sediment and then it like stays there for a long time and the Mauritian people were like when it first happened i'm pretty sure they tried to like try to scoop it out of the mangrove roots and stuff and they eventually i guess were asked to stop because them like treading in that area itself was pushing the oil like into the sediment and stuff it's just like so sad they were Mm -hmm. all like the martian people were like really trying their hardest they really loved the ocean and it was really sad they like were taking um like byproduct of sugarcane like the extra husk things and Mm -hmm. stuff and they were using that as like boons for the oil they were like tying them up and sewing them up to try to prevent the oil from getting into different areas Mm -hmm. to sort of like soak the the oil up yeah Mm -hmm. wow did you get to so for your project did you get to talk to um any of the the locals who were like on that coastline when it happened um so yeah, I worked with a nonprofit called the Oceanic Project, mm-hmm. which is run by this really nice guy named Prashant, and they do like mostly like um, scientific education for local Mauritians. Mm-hmm. So they kind of helped me with like figuring out how I'm gonna travel around there, like what boat I'm gonna use and stuff like that. They mm-hmm. were super helpful for that, and I actually am talking to Prashant right now. He's going to look over some of my mangrove maps to do some last minute checking because I'm mm-hmm. like, you live there. Like, do yeah. you know if if this is a mangrove? Like, I tried really hard to know if this is a mangrove, but I can't tell right now. Like, do you happen to know? And so he's going to help me with that a little bit. And he actually helped me with my master's looking at the benthic habitats and because he does a lot of drone imagery as well. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the researchers in Mauritius, they actually have been asked not to work on it Mm. at the moment Mm. because there's some international concerns because basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to get money to clean up the area Mm -hmm. so they have to do their own independent study to identify what like the damage is basically so they haven't opened up the affected area to researchers Mm. at the moment but I had talked to some researchers. They just weren't able to really get in there at the moment. Mm. Mm. That's unfortunate. I thought since I'm Mauritian, it'll be smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. It is not smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it ever is smooth sailing. With fieldwork, no. <laughs> fieldwork is never smooth sailing. <laughs> and like before I had went, I was told I could go into the affected area. And then when I got there, they said I couldn't. Mm. So I did the best I could collecting some um some data points in my unaffected area that i was using to do the uh comparison Mm -hmm. but you know it's not as good as if i could get data from the affected area but i'm not about to go like break international laws so like and i don't want to like i'm not there to like 
go against Mauritian government. Like, yeah. I'm Mauritian. Like, I don't want that at all. I'm just trying to do my best to try to do some sort of analysis from the satellites where I'm not trying to do anything invasive to the environment yeah. or cause any damage of course i'm just trying to make maps make my little maps over here yeah <laughs> i'm not causing any harm i swear i'm just trying to make a little map <laughs> when did you know that you wanted to be a scientist so i don't really i don't know if i know i just like was always into science i don't think that there was ever a thought that i wouldn't do science yeah. <laughs> i definitely wanted to do like marine science when I was younger and then I kind of had told myself that I needed to be an engineer I guess because I really like math and that means you have to be an engineer which is sad because so much stats is in regular marine science that I feel like it's weird that I had the notion that there isn't math involved yeah but so I actually started as an environmental engineering major and then I ended up switching because when I had talked about like potential career options they were like well you can do coastal development I'm like that's like the opposite of what I want to do (laughs) I'm like why am I doing all this just to like try to tangentially study the ocean when I could just be a marine scientist and I feel like getting into like mapping and stuff kind of lets me do a bit more of the engineering aspect because you're working with different like instruments and you're working with wavelength and stuff like that and like I've helped out with some like bathymetry collection and like drone imagery collection stuff like that and I think it's all very interesting so I think I ended up kind of in the right spot yeah it sounds like you're right in the in the most perfect place and I I assume that um map making involves a ton of math also to try to get things to the right scale and the right size getting like the right projections have to all be lined up and yeah and like doing the analysis to make sure you're showing the most accurate representation (laughs) of what you're looking for instead of like the slightly wrong formula or something. There's like so many like different tools and there's like so many different options within each tool. You really have to figure out exactly what you're doing which is kind of difficult Mm -hmm. um so were you also like artistic as a child did you do a lot of art when you were a kid so I feel like if anything my sisters I have two sisters they're probably more artistic than me (laughs) when I was younger but we did like like to like draw together and stuff like that and we would spend like a lot of time out in the woods together and just like taking it all in so I feel like we all kind of ended up appreciating nature and maybe that's why we like to do art but I like kind of got I started doing art like way more when I took my invertebrate biodiversity course in undergraduate because um we would have class you know every Tuesday Thursday or whatever and then we have a lab hour Mm -hmm. I guess it was like it was like a couple hours you know but a lab period and we would he would just bring a bunch of different inverts based on what we were studying that week and we would just draw them and we would try to draw them like the best we Mm -hmm. could like under a microscope either like live ones dead ones preserved ones you know all different kinds of inverts like I think the first day we did shells and he would just talk to us about how like you have to draw the general shape and then you get the proportions right and then you do the details and stuff like that and I think like I had always been interested in the observation part of art, but I hadn't really done that much drawing before. Mm. And that really, like, I was like, I love this. I could draw this stuff all day long. <laughs> so that kind of made me more interested in drawing, I think. That's really cool. That I mean, that sounds... I am really bad at drawing. So that sounds like that would be so difficult because, I mean, you when you are trying to draw for scientific accuracy you you really have to get in there and get the proportions and the details yeah. and all of that yeah I, fe- I bet you would like that class though <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I would have an absolute blast no of course my I just cannot draw I took a phycology class actually out at Catalina oh, cool. Island um, oh awesome I did a little a little semester there and um the sargassum was everywhere that was like right kind of at the start yeah. of the the sargassum invasion um 
but we would go out and we would collect algae and we would bring it back and we would have to draw it um, to identify it uh, in our lab notebooks because we would have practicals where we had to identify the the algae um and that was really fun i really love algae and seaweed um but it's difficult you know yeah and then to have to like memorize all of it oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah um do you feel like you have been encouraged to merge science and art in your life or sort of encouraged to separate it? I know you said earlier about like the the whole how we talk about like the right brain and the yeah. left brain and um, that stuff is like not true. <laughs> yeah, <at all>. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I don't know if I was like ever in- encouraged or like discouraged Mm -hmm. either way but I definitely feel like that was kind of the sentiment I don't know if that was just like when we were growing up that's kind of like the the things people used to say but it definitely was like I I guess also though like just like how when you grow up saying you want to be an artist like when you grow up saying you're going to be a marine biologist everyone's like you're never going to make any money like (laughs) (laughs) it's just a passion kind of thing and I feel like it's that's kind of similar Mm -hmm. but kind of that's like obviously a negative connotation but I think it's like a passion for both science and art it's kind of not seen as something that goes hand in hand but I think it makes a lot of sense that a lot of people who are interested in science are also interested in art yeah yeah and I I wish that we were encouraged more to do them together mm because like there's so many applications there is a figure that is drawn like there's so many figures that we see in science that we're supposed to use to help us understand processes and there's so many bad figures but there's also like so many good figures that like you see and you're like oh this makes sense to me now and that's like someone who was a great artist that is able to like take all those different elements and make it like aesthetically pleasing but also very informational like very good at <laughs> like showing you like exactly what you need to see in this system and I feel like that's something that is a real skill. And I kind of wish I had been taught that earlier because that would be a cool field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also think like museum, like art, like integrated design for museums, like setting up cool exhibits and making them look really interesting, but that's all an art as well. Yeah. But it's also informational art. And I feel like informational art is left out of the conversation a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. I do feel like um, things are changing in that regard because I know yeah. they've switched um, from talking about STEM to STEAM. Like they added mm, the A yeah. for, for arts in there, yeah. which is really awesome. But I do feel like, you know, in middle school or whatever, you had the kids who were good at science and math. And then you yeah. had the kids who were like artistic and very frequently you are put into one box or the other and yeah, not sure. really like translating between the two um and I don't know why we do that as humans no <laughs> and I guess like I did like go to high school and stuff I was in the arts program but I was also like in it was called Cambridge but it was like kind of like an AP associated thing but we mm-hmm. took like ace classes instead of AP classes but I was like I played French horn so we were in like, I was in like the music department and I only knew art kind of from that perspective, like playing in a group and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It wasn't really like drawing yeah. or like painting or anything like that, which would have been really cool. But I think it does kind of, any kind of art is really helpful for your brain development and helps you see things differently and approach things differently which is helpful for science Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like it helps sort of like your hand eye coordination like we were talking about earlier with helping your hands be more steady um or being able to like focus on what you're doing in front of you and all that sort of like fun fun experiment stuff and playing brass means you take big breaths, which is good for free <laughs> which is not really marine science, but it kind of is in a way. I mean, I, I read a paper one time where they were like, we collected these stingrays free diving with a net. So <laughs> that is definitely a skill. Because I know like at the University of Miami, they have a scientific free diving course. Yes. So that yeah. sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I would love to take that 
But it's just like, you definitely need a good breath hold if you're going yeah. down with a net to get a stingray yeah. because those guys are fast. Yeah. They're speedy. So, yeah, taking big breaths. What kind of stingray? Um, was it like I a cow nose or Atlantics. something? Atlantics. It was on Atlantics. Oh, cool. Yeah. Those are big then. Yeah, yeah. The, the big, like, daisyatus guys. Just oh, my gosh. I can't imagine lugging that up. I have tried to catch a big southern with a net before, and it is chaos running around in shallow water. I don't, I don't recommend. Um, What's your favorite aquatic animal? Uh, I feel like it probably has to be like the giant tube worms that are like on the hydrothermal vents. I always thought that they were so cool. And they're so, like, iconic. When you see a hydrothermal vent, you're like, oh, it's a giant tube worm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're, like, the bright red. They're just so cool, I think. <laughs> I, yeah, I, those are awesome. I love little, little deep sea funky guys. And they also, they're physiologically very tolerant of that, like, heat. Yeah. Right, I think they out. have, like, a like a relationship with chemosynthetic bacteria that live in them and that like helps them metabolize and stuff yeah. i don't know yeah. there's i read about them like my senior year of high school and i was like this is my favorite animal and that it kind of sick. hasn't really changed <laughs> <laughs> i think consistent. there's also just so many good ones that like you get one in your brain you kind of have to stick with it because like you're always gonna have to go back and forth if mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. if you don't there's you so many have, good ones you have to make a conscious choice that like yeah this is is the one yeah oh i wonder if those guys have some cool like heat shock proteins or something in them probably they they look i don't know they look so cool (laughs) i'm gonna go need to read more about them yeah now that i like actually know how to read a scientific paper i'm no longer like in high school Mm -hmm. like that would be cool yeah read more about them um so if you weren't a marine ecologist, if you weren't doing um, this like ecological mapping and stuff, what branch of science um, do you think you would have gone into? If you I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have always, like I love vertebrates as well, but I have always really liked and had an appreciation for inverts. Mm-hmm. Like I recently did like kind of a short-term job with the freshwater ecology lab and at UF and I was doing stuff with crayfish and now I have a crayfish that I love very much. Crayfish? <laughs> yeah, her name is Lily. Oh. She was a lab crayfish. <laughs> but I love like inverts in general. Like in undergrad I did like a little mini volunteering internship thing with the marine in- invert lab. And I feel like I would really like to work with inverts pretty much in any capacity mm-hmm. like that's probably what I would end up doing I actually just applied for an entomology job oh, <laughs> because, yeah because I'm like applying for some like short term like not really short term but some positions to do before I do a PhD if I do one in a mm-hmm. few years so I'm looking I just applied for some entomology jobs that look kind of fun just because it's like lab based work which like helps like build my resume and stuff yeah. and it's there's a lot of options nearby probably because the university i go to it's like largely an agricultural one as well so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of work with um insects and stuff like that i just love insects i feel like i would have a great time in there (laughs) insects are pretty cool um yeah i just a couple podcasts ago um interviewed my friend who's an entomologist oh cool we have a, a lot of cool stuff to say about ants and and fun stuff oh wow like um so are there any other art mediums if any like that you would want to try in the future so i really want to actually like get into upcycling where you're actually like changing the shape of the clothing mm-hmm. more i like invested in a vintage uh sewing machine a while ago there's Mm -hmm. like a place in my town called the repurpose project and they have someone who goes and like tests all of the old machines and like oils them up and repairs them so when you buy them they're like nicely refurbished so i got one i scored one but i like haven't had the time to like brush up on all of that stuff i learned how to use a sewing machine like in fifth grade and it's like (laughs) i haven't used one since (laughs) but i like there's so many things i want to do like add a 
like add a little slit here or there or like change something add a different hem but i i i see what i need to do and i could hypothetically do it hand sewing Mm-hmm. But I'm like, that's such a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And it's never going to be as clean as when you have a sewing machine. So I've actually told myself, like, when I finally submit my mangrove paper, when I'm t- done, like, messing around with it, and I don't feel like it's a failure, I will <laughs> submit it. And then I will brush up on those skills so I can work on, like, actually transforming stuff. Especially because I have so much, like, the repurposed project where I got my sewing machine. There's so much fabric there. And there's so many things I want to make. And I just haven't really stepped into that side of it yet. That is, but I think that'll be really fun. <laughs> that is so cool. That that whole project. That's awesome. Because I thrifted an old sewing machine. I oh, I cool. like the old metal ones a lot more than the newer I've heard they're better plastic anyway. ones. I mean, yeah, yeah, they were made. I mean, they're still around, right? They're like, yeah, they've they're lasted last. this long. But mine needs to be oiled. The, oh, the yeah. bobbin thing is like. It it works. Yeah. I made a dress with it, right? But like, oh cool, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I her her and I we fight a little bit. Um, we have arguments. We're still getting to know each other, so I still need to get to know mine. I'm yeah. sure it has some issues I need to figure out as well. <laughs> oh man, that that project that just sounds so cool though. I love that. I wish there was. I'm excited like too because like when I have fabric, I can make whatever size I want in like all the same fabric sometimes it's hard because i want to include like uh like double xl or like an extra small and sometimes it's hard to find things on like either side of Mm -hmm. like medium and large Mm -hmm. so it would be fun or it's like it's not even it's hard to find but it's hard to find something of the exact same style as the other stuff i'm working on if i'm doing a bigger collection so it'd be cool to like be able to just make it whatever size i want and i don't have to worry about like i also like don't really like taking away plus size clothes from thrift stores if I'm not ready to use it because then I feel like I'm like taking it away from someone who might just wear it already so I'm trying to be like cognizant of that and so it'd be cool if I could just make it and I don't feel like I'm like taking anything away from anything yeah yeah and then you get to choose the fabric of the style of fabric that will like take the embroidery well too exactly and there's so many I run into so many cool fabrics I'm like I would love to work with this but Mm -hmm. I haven't I don't have the skills yet I've been really enjoying like thrifting bed sheets. Oh, cool. Like old sheets and and making clothes out of those. I have like an overalls pattern oh, cute. that I want to whip out. I this spring break with this um like floral bed sheet that I I thrifted. Oh, fun. Um, and one of them is a fitted sheet that I might just like use on my bed because <laughs> it's the right size and it's really cute, but I don't use top sheets. No, I don't I just either. use a comforter like I I can't handle like the overstimulation of no, a top it's sheet. Too much. Um, so I'm I'm gonna chop. But like learning how to read a pattern like that too is also like a skill in itself. It's kind yeah. of like a lab. I mean, knitting patterns. Like when you go into a chem yeah. lab, they're like, "Here's your instructions. Go." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like knitting patterns can get really complicated, and I I didn't think of this myself, but in knitting you have like two different stitches, mm-hmm. right? You have the knit. And the pearl, and you build everything else from that, whether you're like slipping stitches or like knitting stitches together. And someone likened it to like binary code. Oh, yeah. You like ones and zeros because you just have those two things. But from that, you can build so this. Much. Yeah. This item. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it is kind of like reading a lab protocol. Yeah. And sometimes I would never do this in the lab, but sometimes I. I'm just knitting and I think that I already read the right part of the pattern and I just keep going and then I mess up and I was supposed to do oh, something no. else. I have to like rip stitches oh. out. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so do you have any closing thoughts, a thesis statement <laughs> on uh, how you combine art and science in your life per se? Hmm. I think in general, like, both art and science like really ask you to like be conscious observer of like what you're seeing and like I like to do ecological based art so like looking at not just the organism but how it like fits in with the habitat and like what other organisms it interacts with and stuff like that I think it's very very beneficial to look at the whole picture a little bit more and I feel like that's something that you have to do in both science and art I guess. <laughs> yeah, 
I would agree with you. Um, beautiful. So if people want to find you on the internet, where should they go? So I'm Ecological Embroidery on Instagram. <laughs> That's pretty much where I hang out. I have a <laughs> website on there. But. Perfect. I will put that in the show notes. And when I post on Instagram about this, I'll, I'll like tag. Oh, thank everything you. <laughs> and do all of that. But yeah, thank you so thank much. You. This was so fun. I love, I feel like I'm learning so much from everyone. I can imagine. I love... There's so many cool people out there that do both. People, people are cool. Yeah. People have so many cool thoughts and it's, it's really cool to see how differently people talk about art and science combinations. Yeah. And I just feel like there's something new every time. There's like so much there and it's just, yeah, it's really awesome. And I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's and so thanks fun. For thanks here. so much for having me. Nice to yeah, talk to you in course. person too. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> My, um, my friend who I, I was literally at the thrift store before this. Uh, my friend who I was with uh, was like, oh, who are you interviewing today? And I told her and then she was like, where'd you meet? And I was like, on Instagram, we've never seen each other. <laughs> Classic. Internet friends. <laughs> yeah, internet friends. Sometimes you just like, you you follow each other and you're like, this person is yeah, cool. Yeah, exactly. Just, there's like, sometimes like an ease about it. No, for it, sure. You know? I feel like I've had like several friendships like that. <laughs> yep, 100%. Like you just decide like, I like this person, this person's Yeah, exactly. Like, respond to all their stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Mutualisms, the podcast. I'm your host, Chessie. The theme song was written by Jay Hemphill. Podcast editing is also done by Jay Hemphill. If you'd like to keep up with us, you can follow us on Instagram at mutualismspod. If you'd like to keep up with any of our guests, their social media information will be listed in the show notes. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoyed today's episode. And thank you so much again, and we'll see you next week. Have a wonderful day.